Lord Jesus, we thank you that you can work no matter what. And uh, we thank you, God, that in all things, that you're working all things together for good because we love you and we are called according to your purpose. And Lord, I, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to deliver this message. I do pray, God, that, that you would breathe on it and that you would just make it very applicable to every person's situation. We honor you and we invite you into this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, well, today I, I want to kind of give kind of hopefully an encouraging, uplifting message for you guys. I felt like the Lord wanted me to um, speak kind of hope today. Um, there, uh, several months ago, Rachel and I, we went to a conference uh, actually in February, and we were at this conference, and we showed up there at this conference, and there was probably about a thousand people in the room, and then they had an overflow room for the people that couldn't get into the main room. <clears throat> and so we, we got in there, and we had a ticket to, to get in there, and literally we were there like 15 minutes before the conference started. We were like the last people there, and we had just got into town. And we were looking for a seat, like two seats together, and we couldn't even find one seat, let alone two seats together. And so we looked around for, you know, probably five, ten minutes, and I was just, like, discouraged. I'm like, we just traveled, like, you know, over a thousand miles, and we're now going to be, like, hanging out in an overflow room watching a video screen. And I went over to uh, uh, one of the ushers, and I just said to, to this lady, I said, excuse me, but is there any hope of us getting two seats that are next to each other? <clears throat> and the woman just said, just, she just darted out of her mouth. She goes, <clears throat> sorry, she goes, there's always hope. And when she said that, I just felt like God was on it. And I felt like that's why I was there, because <laughs> I was in a discouraged place. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, there's always hope. And she found us two seats relatively quick. It was a miracle, and if you were in the room, you know, understand why it was, but I just, want to, I just want to say, this isn't my title, but there is always hope with Jesus. The title of my message is actually, When You Are in a Cave, and so I want to talk today, you know, hopefully none of you are in a cave, but, but hopefully you'll be encouraged anyways if you're not in, in a pit, but I, but I think that when we go through difficult times and circumstances, it's, you know, in, in those dark places, it can be very difficult to sort out, God, I don't feel you. God, I don't hear you. Or maybe I hear you a little bit, but I have no idea what you're doing. I don't, and I just feel like I'm in this stuck place. And so I want to just kind of take some time to just kind of look at this, this idea of maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you don't know what to do. Or maybe you're even struggling with seeing a way forward. God, how can, we get from, how can we move forward from here? And I want to look at the life of King David. And obviously he had a huge, you know, there's a lot about him in the scripture, but I want to kind of look at a few different elements of it. And so I, I, in a moment, I want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. There will be no scripture verses on the screen. It was, this was one of those hot off the press ones where it was like, oh God, please help, because I was trying to sort it out. But... To give you a little bit of a context for where we're going in the story of King David, King David was a shepherd boy that did not ask to be king. He did not ask to be anointed. He did not ask to be really brought to the forefront of battle. But 
He was a, a, just a kid that nobody in his family saw anything special in. He was a person that nobody saw as anything beyond just a simple shepherd boy who likes to listen to music like most teenagers, and all he had to work with was a harp. And so that what he, was what he did is he would worship on the hillside while he was faithful to just be a good kid, taking care of, the, of his dad's sheep. And in the process of all of this, God had anointed a man king who did not believe him, who did not trust him. And because King Saul, it's his name, because King Saul would not obey, Uh, believe God, because he could not trust in God, he would not obey God. And finally, God gets to the point where he says, I cannot keep working with Saul. I need somebody else, and I have found somebody else, and I am going to bring him to the forefront of the future. I'm going to bring him to the forefront of destiny. And then, and then he, you know, famously to make a really long story short, God keeps bringing him to places where he's in front of people, and he finds himself taking down a giant named Goliath. And after he takes down Goliath, he becomes a household name, and to make a long story short, he becomes powerful, famous, and now the king is very jealous and insecure of him and wants to take him out. And so David is now on the run. He has been separated from his wife, He has been separated from his family. He has been separated from a lot of things. And so we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So you can grab your Bible or your phone. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up here. I'll give you guys a second to find it. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we'll pick it up in verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David defeats Goliath, who is a Philistine, and then after a while, he is literally escaping to his enemy to get away from Saul. And so he's in a a tight spot, and so he acts crazy to try to get out of the Philistines. But when he goes and leaves the Philistines, he goes to a cave. And we'll pick that up in uh, chapter 22. So the very next chapter, verse 1, David therefore departed from there, and escape to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers in all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 
400 men with him. And I, I, I struggled to get this message, but I felt compelled to these two verses. I felt like the Lord, like, sometimes things are more of a teaching and some things are a little bit more prophetic. I believe what I'm about to tell you is a simple idea or simple ideas, but I believe this is a now word for at least some people in this room because I felt gripped. You know, sometimes the scriptures grip you. Sometimes certain scripture verses grip you, and your spirit is so stirred up, but your head is, is trying to catch up to what your spirit is trying to tell you. And so I don't know if my brain is going to do it justice today, but I, I believe that in these two verses, there are some powerful things for some people in this room today. Because David goes to a cave. He goes to a stronghold. And, but in verse 2 it says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So it, 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 I always picture this being like Braveheart or like Robin Hood, you know? You got the, you, got, you know, the, you know, his merry men or whatever, but it's like he, he is escaping. He is running for his life. He is not trying to figure out how he can overrun the king. He is not trying to figure out how he can get back into a place of power. He's literally just trying to stay alive. And in this place, he can't see a way through. He has a promise that he will be king. He has a word about his future. He has a sense, and other people have a sense, this man has been anointed by a prophet to become king, and yet he is not even close. He is in a dark spot. He is in a tight place of abandonment, of aloneness, and frustration. David is not thinking to himself about, his, about how it's going to be glorious and this is all how God's going to work it out. No, David is in this place and people throughout the land, somehow word starts trickling out. Hey, did you hear David? You know, the guy that ran from Saul, he's hiding out at the cave of Adullam. And the guy's like, really? Well, I, I, I'll follow him. I heard he was anointed king. I, I will follow him all the way. Saul is nuts. I'll follow David. And so these people just start trickling in slowly but surely until he has 400 guys. And you would say, that is, that is so cool. Just, I mean, I, I, one of the things I love about David is that David was a person whom God raised up. David never demanded allegiance. He never demanded followers. He never fought for control. In every step of the way, other people would just walk up to him and say, God picked you and I'm following you. That's literally how it worked. I mean, they just slowly kept trickling until he became the, the, entire, the king of the entire nation. But for a while there, he was just hanging out in a cave with still, you know, what the, the Bible later would call these people as mighty men. But here's the thing. They weren't very mighty when they came to David. They weren't very mighty. And so it says here that there were three kinds of people that came to David. Now, if you're in a rough place, do you want people to come to you that are in distress? Just a thought. 
Another translation said trouble. If people are in distress or trouble, do you think, you know what, come to me. Yeah, that's what I want. I want people that are in trouble. No. The other factor was people who were in debt. This is people who cannot pay their bills and they were financially in a tight spot. So now they have no money. So poor people who are in trouble. And then finally, it says, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. That word discontented, I looked it up. It actually means bitter. But all the different Bible translations say discontented. And I think it's because they really wanted it to start with the letter D. Like, they're like distress, debt, bitterness. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work like discontented. But nevertheless, who wants to be around bitter people when you are in a cave? when we're in a difficult place. Yet, I believe God sent them to him. Let's ponder this for a moment. David is not getting a, a prophetic word from the Lord, the Lord saying, David, I, I want you to know something. Someday you're gonna be king of an army. And this army is gonna be world-renowned. Thousands of years later, they're gonna be talking about your army that will have over, well over a million men. You will be dominant, you will be world-renowned, and you will have an elite group of soldiers called the Mighty Men. You will have, there's like, there were, there were a title for the three, there was a title for the 30. Like he had his, he had his elite soldiers. But when they came to David, they did not look mighty. And so I want you to, I want to read a verse out of Psalm 142. This is, uh, the scriptures say that David wrote this when he was in the cave. So I want you to see a little bit of his state of mind in Psalm 142. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. because It's a little, a little easier to track. So, David said, I cry out to the Lord... I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. So, David, I believe this gives us kind of a glimpse into his state of mind. He's just like, God, I'm trusting in you. You're my refuge. You're all I really want in life. Nobody helps me. I just said 400 guys came to follow him. And he's like, nobody's there for me. <laughs> Nobody, I am in a pit and I am in a prison, 
and nobody can help me. And I, I just can only imagine when he looked at these guys, these misfits, he thought to himself, God, there's no hope for them. They can't help me. I, they want me to help them. How can I help them when, when I, I need somebody to help me? Who's there for me? I mean, have you ever been in those situations? Maybe it was at your work. Maybe it was in your personal life. Maybe it was in a church ministry situation where you're like, I just need a high-quality employee who can step it up and show up on time. And I can, you know, those kind of people already have jobs. Like, sometimes it can be hard when when God gives you the hand that you've been dealt because you're like, God, I need an amazing person who's trained, who's... You know, uh, uh, what's the word? Punctual, that's the word. Punctual, like, and God's like, no, I'm gonna give you raw misfits. People that are bitter. You're like, Lord, this is not, this is not helping anything. I just feel like I'm at a deeper pit with these bitter people. And the Lord's like, no, no, I'm building something. I'm building something. You, don't you see it? And David's like, no. No, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Like, these guys don't even shower. Like, they're nasty. And it's like, so, so they, you know, so, so you've got David in this circumstance where he doesn't see what God is doing, but God is doing something. And today, I believe by the Spirit, the Lord is saying, you don't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing something. What am I doing? And we're just like, well, it can't be them because they're not good enough. And God, or maybe we're like the misfits, like we're just like, God, where should I run? Where should, where should I turn to? And I believe that by the Spirit, the Lord is saying, I'm bringing the right connections. I'm bringing the right people. I'm bringing you into alignment. But don't, don't look beyond what and whom I send, because you will be tempted to reject it. It is so important when you're in these places, and I believe this is a now word. I I believe this is a now word. The Lord is saying, I'm going to align you with mighty people. They just won't look very mighty right now. And I'm going to align you up even with the Davids in your life. David needed these 400 men, and these 400 men needed David. I want you to think this through. There are people in, that are, God's going to send to you, or maybe he'll send you to them. And we're like, God, I need them to help me. And God's like, I want you to help them. These people were in distress, and in the place of distress and in debt, they came to David and it's like, how can my sword? It will belong to you. I will serve you, David. I will help you, David. I know I need you to help me, but I will, I will be there for you. And I want to I, I share a story that, I, I love this story, but it, it always kind of bummed me out how David did it. I'll explain it in a moment. So in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 11, there's a, a little bit of uh, kind of random stories where it talks about David's mighty warriors or mighty, mighty men. And... Um, and it would be 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And I'm reading once again in the NLT. It says in 15, Once when David was at the rock, 
near the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three, who were among the thirty, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. God forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are examples of the exploits of the three. So they're in the cave, and they're kind of near the Dead Sea area, and I'm guessing water wasn't so great there. And David one day is like, oh man, I, I just missed that well by Bethlehem. It just sounds so good. I'm thirsty in this desert. And these three guys walk around like, you know, we could pull this off. I mean, what, what loyalty? What loyalty? They're like, you know, David really wants water. He wants quality water. So let's just, let's just go and break through but in, break through enemy lines. Let's do a secret mission. I, and I always picture this being at night. I, I think I'm right. And they go in at night, and they're just, you know, you know probably kill, killing people along the way. And they're getting down and breaking through the lines, and people are like, hey, there's, you know, they're like, there's enemy, and they're, they're, the other army comes, and they get down there, and they're scooping the water, and they're like, all right, we're on. Let's get out of here. And this is their secret, you know, you talk about movies where they rescued an individual that's kidnapped. They're like, we're rescuing water. And so they come out, and then they show up, and they're like, you know, they probably have a little bit of blood and a little, little bit of marks. And David's like, where have you guys been? They're like, check it out. Ch- check what out? This is, this is your water, dude, from Bethlehem. You, you attacked an army to get me a drink of water? I mean, could you imagine how David's like, why would you do this for me? And they're like, we believe in you. We love you. We are loyal to you. We, we, are, we, are, we are in alignment. We are, there, there, there's something powerful about loyalty. Loyalty is, is, so, is so important in any relationship, but it's also important in leadership. And a lot of times in church environments, people don't trust leaders. And I get it. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to get, well, get me water or some snicker bar or something. I'm not even, that's not even my point. But my point is, is that, all right, I'm just going to talk out loud. And I hope this, doesn't, hope this doesn't train wreck things. When you follow a leader and the leader knows you got their back, it will empower you in a lot of ways. There are a lot of Christians that are ready to stab a leader in the back or walk away from a church the minute they find a flaw. Does that make sense? Like, Tim's not here. He'll probably watch it later, but we can hide. No. 
I am, I am extremely loyal to a fault. It has worn me out being loyal to a lot of people because it's hard to be, it's hard to be there for everybody. But I, I, I am aware of Tim's strengths. I am aware of Tim's weaknesses. And I have worked with Tim now for 18 years on staff, and, I, and we had a relationship before that. We have gone through a lot of things in a lot of situations and circumstances. And I am very loyal to Tim, even though I know his imperfections and his weaknesses. Because of that, Tim knows he can trust me. And because of that, he empowers me in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of people in this room that you have those kind of relationships in your life where you can be empowered because you can be trusted. So when people come to me and say, I've been to four churches in the last year, and they all suck, and they're all sinners, and that pastor has this thing wrong with him, and that pastor has that thing wrong with him, I'm like, dude, I'm not letting you close. Why? Because loyalty gives you access. And I'm not saying you blindly follow leaders and you just shove sin under the rug. You actually... That's how you build loyalty, is you have those tough conversations, and you flat out say, I disagree with this, and then you still are loyal after you have had that conversation. That is how you build that kind of relationship. But a lot of times, and not just in leadership, a lot of times when it comes to different types, Isaac, are you kidding me? <laughs> you are hilarious. All right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He's a good man. He doesn't know what I'm preaching on. He just walked out of the room and gave me coffee without listening to the sermon. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Oh, that is good. Hallelujah. Now David, David though, when he got the drink, he said, I'm not worthy of this. And he poured it out as an act of worship to the Lord. And he's like, Lord, you're the only one that is worthy of these people's lives. So I'm going to take what they did and say, it's, I'm not worthy of it. So I'm going to give worship to God. I'm going to pour it on the ground. And I can only imagine what those guys felt like. Dude, <laughs> we just risked our lives and just poured it on the ground. But I'm not going to pour this on the ground. <laughs> but I feel loved. So, but, but, th but, th th but that is a relationship. Relationship causes you to do things for one another that uh, barking orders never could. And I believe that to, David needed the mighty men. The mighty men needed David. You, there are people that God is sending and has sent and will send your way. You cannot enter into your destiny until you find the right people to be in alignment with. These people were not mighty before they got aligned with David. They never killed giants until after they got aligned with David. They were, they, they, their identity shifted through the company that they kept. Now, I want to make some di brief disclaimers because it's, 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 there's always balance, you know, when you make these kinds of statements. 
Because if we go and we get our eyes on people and be like, yeah, to get to my destiny, I need people I need people to come and be there for me, and I need people to see my greatness, and I need people to start following me and, and start getting water for me. And you know, you could go down this line and say, and start getting your eyes off of God as your provider and start looking to people, thinking that they're your source. So there's a tension here. I'm telling you flat out, God designed it that we would need each other. He he, he does not want Lone Rangers. There's nothing biblical about Lone Rangers. You know, people take an outlier in the Old Testament, but we're, a new, we're the New Testament. We're the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, the, uh, the scriptures talk about this idea of we are a body and that Jesus is the head and that we all make up different parts of the body. Some people are the thumb and some people are the kneecap and some of you get to be eyebrows, but you all get to be a part and we all need each other because if you don't have eyebrows, you look kind of funny. So, so, so we all need each other, but when you get to this place where you're getting mad at people because they're not there for you, you're getting mad at people because they're not doing what you want or what you need, then, then, then you're in the wrong spot. So what happens is, like David talked about in Psalm 142, he's saying things like, God, nobody's there for me, but I'm, I'm looking to you. God, everybody's failed me, but I'm looking to you. I, he's not looking to these 400 men. He's looking to God to give him everything he needs. And God says, I will be everything that you need. And I will be your strength in the storm. And I will be your energy in the fight. And I will be your vision for your future. You hold on to me. You do not give up. You do not get weary. But you stay in the game. You stay in the fight. And you keep believing. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to work all things out. I'm going to work all things for good. But one of the ways that I'm going to do it is I'm going to send trickle, 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 400 people, and you need them. If they were to come to David and say, David, I don't need you guys. I'm a lone ranger. God's all I need. Then he wouldn't enter into his destiny. That group of 400 men later became 600 men, and then it just kept growing from there as they they kept elevating him up, but it was always God. So yes, you need people, but you always look to God. It's like there's a little bit of a tension there, but I want to look at uh, a couple other parts of First Chronicles chapter 11, because I love these stories, and they're very manly. So First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. These are the leaders of David's mighty warriors. Together with all Israel, they decided to make David their king, just as the Lord had promised concerning Israel. Here's the record of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Yashobim, the Hakmonite, who was the leader of the three, the mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eliezer, the son of Doai, a descendant of Ahoah. He was with David when the Philistines gathered for battle at Pass Demim and attacked the Israelites in a field full of barley. The Israelite army fled, but Eliezer and David held their ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord saved them by giving them a great victory. It's in, I love that, that part. There were only two 
There were only two that held their ground. Eliezer and David. I think there was something in David. Because he found everything that he needed in God, on the battlefield, there, there, was, just, there was a resolve about him. And apparently, this other guy, Eliezer, who was in alignment with David, he was just like, you know what? If David, I'm staying with David. We're going to do this. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I believe that by this alignment, they strengthened David. But I really believe that they become, became more like David. Who you partner with matters. Who your friends are matter. There, to get where you need to get, you need to start surrounding yourself with people who are bigger than you. I don't know about you guys, but when I get around greatness, I get intimidated. When I get around great leaders and people that are just nailing it, I just, you know, you know, like you get around like famous people. Some people are like, I want to go and shake their hand inside my forehead, you know. And I'm like, no, no, I just keep my distance from, from because when I find myself around people that I really respect or I really revere or have their just a high measure of greatness, I just feel so unworthy. I feel so unqualified. And I think that, I think that I'm not the only one. I think that it's very normal for us to surround ourselves with people who are equal to us or even that we would view, this sounds horrible to say, but like people that are kind of almost less than us because we feel safer around people that are more on our level or below us in terms of greatness. And so I think that when we get around people and they have a great marriage, or we get around people and they're a great leader, or they get around people and they're really skilled at what they do in a professional sense or in a relational sense, or, you know, we watch, when we watch other people do life and they're just amazing, we're just like, kudos to you, but I'm keeping my distance. And I believe that the Lord is saying to some of us today, listen, you need some new friends and you need to be courageous. You need to surround yourself with people that will take you higher, that will pull you deeper, that will bring you to a place where you've never been before. Because I know, I know that feeling, that where you just, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm good enough. And the Lord is saying, I'm sending people to you, and you actually have something to offer them as well. Oh no, not me. I don't have anything to offer. Listen, greatness is inside of everyone. There is no lack of talent. If you walk down the street, there is no lack of talent. If you walk into a classroom in a school, there is no lack of talent. Talent is never the issue. The issue has to do with a variety of things, like you know, diligence, persistence, pressing through the pain, surrounding ourselves with people that are not just gonna pull us off the rails, there is a lot of factors, but talent is not the problem. 
It's about, this. a lot of time it's the stick to. David stuck to his ground, and this guy who was standing in alignment with David said, well, I'll do that too, and they won. Could you imagine? Everybody runs away, and everybody's back, you know, and they're like, well, did anybody know where David is? And they're like, I don't know. Is it, did you, he was with you. I don't know where he went. And they're all just looking for David, and all of a sudden David comes showing up. His sword is just massively bloody, and by now the blood started to dry on it. And he's got one other guy walking there with him. And everybody's like, where have you been? And David's like, well, I've been fighting. You, like, what do you mean fighting? Like, did you stay in the game? Yeah, I stayed in the game. We won. How? Well, us too. We just went at, went at it and, you know, we're exhausted right now, but we got a barley field out of it. And they're just like, whoa, culture. Could you imagine what that would do for a culture? All of a sudden, all of these men just got called to a whole new level. All of a sudden, they just said, no, no, you are called to greatness. You are called to victory. You were born for something greater than this. So the next time they're in a fight, they have this mentality like, you know, last time I ran, but David's men don't run. In fact, I have, I'm one of David's men. I'm not just myself. I'm not the way I used to be. I used, I was in debt. And what I do, I ran away. I was bitter and I ran away. I ran away from all these things. But here, we have a new culture. We have a new leader. And this new culture says, we stand. We stand in the fight because we're warriors. We're not wusses. And so they get into the fight and they dominate. And you know what? If you, if you follow anything about sports, you know how winning streaks work. When you, when you start winning a few games, all of a sudden you get swag, you know? Get a little bit of a swagger. You kind of act like you belong there. You kind of know you're all that. And then you start acting like you're actually called to become. David and these men became great warriors. There's a book that I, I read many years ago. It's, it's a phenomenal book. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. And one of the, one of the three kings it talks about is King David. And they, they kind of do it like a story, like a drama. And they have this, I think it was a kid, and he came up to one of David's mighty men. And he was old and saggy and retired and stuff. And he's like, are you one of David's great mighty men? And the guy was kind of like, what are you talking about? He's like, Aren't you, you know, aren't, aren't you like the, the great warriors, that the legends that we talked about in the campfires? And he's kind of like, yeah, that was us. He's like, but we really weren't very mighty. When we came, when, when David, when we came to David, we were, a, we were a mess. We were quite the lot, but we became mighty. And so I, I, I just, I know I'm kind of going in circles around the same idea, but I'm trying to just permeate some of this truth. David's men became legendary, but it really was birthed, I believe, out of identity. When you begin to know who you are, you begin to behave out of who you really are. Many of us in this room do not operate out of your true identity, but rather a false identity. You look at your life, and it's, it's rough. 
You look at your history and you see all your failures and all your weaknesses and all your past and you actually believe the lie that that's who you were. You think you're the black sheep. You think you're the loser. You think I can never amount to anything. You, you, we, we, we carry these identities. I'm a runner. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a warrior. I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to survive. And the Lord says, no. That's not who you are. God is the only one that gets to tell you who you are. God is the only one that gets to define who you are. And so when you find your identity in your behavior or your past, in what other people have said, you are following a false identity. The scriptures say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? It means the, the way you, what you believe about yourself is the way you will behave. That, that is so true. Look at your life, look at your behavior, and then know that the reason why your behavior is the way it is is because of the what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself is the second most important thing in your life. The first, of course, is what you believe about God. But the second is what you believe about you. So, here's the thing. We have to be in alignment with people who call us into our real identity. We have to be around people that see the greatness in us, that mine the gold, that don't give up on us, but say, hey, you're better than that. When other people don't get to define you, but when you get aligned with the right people, the right friendships, I'm not just talking about looking at the back of somebody's head on a Sunday morning. That is not alignment. I'm talking about going to a connect group. I'm talking about getting involved in a ministry. I'm talking about having dinner with somebody. I'm talking about going to coffee with somebody. I'm talking about getting yourself around powerful people that maybe even intimidate you and let them say, you can do better. You are called to more than this. And they don't get to define your identity, but they get to remind you of your identity. And that's what we need. We need people who will remind us that's not who you are. Yeah, but I, I sinned and I've been in bondage and I've been an idiot. And they're like, that's not who you are though, so stop being an idiot. That's, that's what we're, we're called to do. We better land this plane. You guys want to stand up? <laughs> if I could have the prayer team come to the front. Yes, Pastor Tim will come back and you'll be like, Daniel said that we get to say stop being an idiot to Christians. <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Stop being dumb. And we've all had our moments. I know that. My wife, she's good at holding me accountable. <laughs> and my boys too. <laughs> okay. But the reality, I just want to, I, I know I've said it a million times. I want to say it one more time. In this time and in this season, God is going to bring people together. Don't look to people. Look to God. But when God aligns you, step into it. You work with the bitter people. You 
Step in around people that are bigger than you. You step into that alignment because you need each other. So I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. It looks like some people made coffee for all you guys, not just me. I am not the only one who gets coffee. Jesus loves all of you, not just me. But don't pour it out to the ground. And then I'll pray, and then if you, if you want to be dismissed, you can, but if you want prayer, you can do that as well. Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor and all the praise because you are building. You are a builder. And God, we want to partner with that. We yield to you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you give us the eyes to see who we are to be in connection with. God, I pray that you would build your house, and I pray, God, that you would bring us into our future. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.